This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Trump administration's proposal to merge the Office of Personnel Management with the General Services Administration has been the elephant in the room at OPM for the past year. OPM employees say the proposal alone has generated debilitating uncertainty across the agency. Institutional talent has left. Work has been delayed and morale has tanked. Federal News Network spoke with 10 current and former OPM employees as part of a six-month investigation. Employees fear the damage is done regardless of what happens next with the merger. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco and Jason Miller join me now with more on their story. Let's start with who you spoke to and what did you learn, Nicole? So we spoke with about 10 or so current and former OPM employees, people who have maybe left the agency within the past year. And the narrative that we've heard is that just the sheer uncertainty that this merger proposal has created, again, over the past year, has done a couple of things. It's caused some institutional talent, people with, in some cases, decades of years of experience either in their human capital field or within OPM altogether, to leave. It's lowered morale, and it has, in some cases, delayed work in maybe a couple of different ways, either by distracting employees who might have to answer questions or put together plans or resources about the merger, or because they don't have enough people there anymore to maybe carry paperwork upstairs or to conduct performance evaluations, for example. So we had heard that ongoing narrative over and over from the people that we spoke with. And then also at the same time, this fear of, well, even if Congress comes in and says, absolutely not, we're done with the merger, it's it's over. There was this fear that really the damage over the past year could be lasting for, you know, maybe years to come. Sounds like TWA before the third bankruptcy. And Jason, your story has a lot of data backing up some of the events that you found anecdotally. There's two things that are happening here, Tom. First, we heard a ton of that of those anecdotes of people leaving, and it seemed and it seemed to us like there's an exodus of people leaving OPM. The numbers don't necessarily say that, but let's go d- a little deeper into those numbers. For instance, Tom, at the end of August, we had heard there was about 5,542 employees. That's 37 less at the, than there was at the end of fiscal t- 2018. So about about a year. But those numbers include the National Background Investigation Service and HR Solutions, both of which had been hiring more people. Uh, NBIB obviously moved to the Defense Department on October 1, and HR Solutions is a fee-for-service organization, so they're not tied to appropriations. They're tied to how much fees they bring in and how much they can uh, hire. So if you look at just those other organizations outside of NBIB and HR Solutions, that shows OPM lost about 114 employees over the last 11 months. But that is still not a huge deal when you talk about over 2,000 employees total, almost 3,000 employees. If you dig deeper into which agencies, which pieces of the agency lost people, I think that really starts to to tell the story in in more detail. For instance, Tom, one of the big things that that stood out to us was the uh, government-wide pay, performance management, recruitment, hiring program lost about 8% of its workforce or 15 employees over the last 11 months. OPM's own HR office lost about 35% of its workforce, or 18 employees, since 2018. That's kind of ironic. It, it is. When you're talking about the HR shop, can't, you know, for the government, this is having trouble with its own employees. And even the, the public affairs shop, the communication shop, is down about 18 employees. They only have about 11, 11 fewer people, or 42% drop. So as you can tell, Tom, it's not just 
oh, the agency is losing people, but it's really specific offices and offices that play a huge role. And in fact, it goes even deeper. And I'm going to pass this over to Nicole for the for the how how, how the, the the bigger piece. We're speaking with Federal News Networks Jason Miller and Nicole Grisco. Just so you'll know, and Nicole, tell us more. Yeah. So we we heard about the number of senior executives, GS-14s, 15s. In 2019 alone, about 60 of those executives' top GS employees have quit. The agency has only been able to hire back about a third, which I think is alarming considering, again, OPM's role, the role in human capital across government more broadly. And then, you know, when we spoke to some of these current and former employees, some names, some common names started coming back to us. You know, Andrea Bright, who ran OPM's HR, uh, internal HR office, she left in May. She now works at Customs and Border Protection, 23 years at OPM. Julie Brill, who had been at OPM for 30 years, she went to the Small Business Administration as the deputy Chico there. She left in June. Alan Spielman, who ran OPM's health insurance and uh, healthcare and insurance organization, long time there. He's retired recently. And then Dean Hunter, who probably most notably made the weather calls for OPM and the Washington area, he has also moved on to another agency. So we kept hearing common names and really big figures, I think, within the agency who have left over the past year. So in some ways, the chicken hasn't really shrunk, but it's running around with no head. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it in many ways, because these leaders had so much institutional knowledge. And it's those people who in the past have said to other administrations, whether it's the George W. Bush administration or the Barack Obama administration, OK, we understand what you want to do to OPM, but hold on, understand the intricacies, the web that OPM reaches across all agencies before you go in and, and start cutting the chicken's head off. And I think that institutional knowledge is so key. And I think that's why people are concerned that there's this lasting damage. And Jason, one of the big issues for OPM has been its information technology, not just the breach in 2015, but ongoing problems modernizing. What's happening at that particular shop now? In fact, the Trump administration has really hung their hat on this issue that OPM the systems are so old, so problematic that they have to move to GSA. And in fact, the fact is, Tom, that's not necessarily true. Now, we spoke with several people who are familiar with the CIO shop, and they said that they were actually on a really great trajectory. Let's just, you brought up the breach, so let's start there. There's some who believe that the OPM's cybersecurity is better than almost any other civilian agency cybersecurity. I, I've heard a story that I know is true from multiple sources that said DHS tried to do a threat assessment. They tried to break in a red team, blue team, and they couldn't get through the defenses of OPM. And in fact, had to call OPM to say, hey, can, can you let us in now? Because they, they had to do it. So They had to send a phishing attack. They, they, they couldn't send a phishing attack. They blocked it. But it's more than just cybersecurity. It's, it's even, for instance, legacy systems that, that run on mainframes. They have brand new hardware underneath them. So it's not so much that, yes, they're old applications, but they're running on brand new hardware. And even, for instance, they had a big problem with Windows 2003 servers. And, and within a short amount of time, they were able to really reduce that number by about 70%. So there was a lot of progress being made, spe specifically in the last couple of months under former CIO David Garcia, who left in February. But David Garcia left before him, Rob Leahy, was deputy CIO, left. So you had, again, this gutting of this CIO shop. Now, they may have left for their own reasons, but they weren't replaced very quickly. And when they were replaced, they were replaced with U.S. digital service folks who, listen, Tom, they may be really smart and really talented, but they don't really know the agency. They know digital services and, and certain aspects of modernization. 
Yeah, they're not really strategists. They're there to fix particular problems, develop a particular application, but it doesn't have that overview that you really need in the CIO shop. And we're not sure that's happening. They may be really smart people doing really great work, but it hasn't come out and we haven't seen them speak in public to say, hey, here's the progress we're making. All we keep hearing is modernization is a problem at OPM. And in fact, we have a great clip from the hearing, uh, was it May timeframe, Nicole, where mm-hmm. Jerry Conley and Margaret Whitekirk, then the acting OPM director, had an exchange around the technology problems. And we'll let people watch it for themselves to, to, to find that on federalnewsnetwork.com. Nicole, you spoke with Margaret Weikert, the former acting head of OPM, now strictly at her OMB job. And what was her reaction to what you presented to her? She said that she completely understood the concerns that employees had about the merger. She said that she took as much time as she could to speak with them on an individual level. She said she visited the mailroom to senior executive service members to talk about this. She also held quite a few town halls and individual meetings with some of the program offices, again, to talk about this. And she said, you know, she she tried to make herself as available as possible to hear about it. She understood that transitions are difficult. And she actually pointed to, you know, what's going on with the National Background Investigations Bureau, which is now officially at the Pentagon. And she says, you know, that actually went pretty well. I mean, we think that we planned this out, you know, pretty decently. And kind of pointed to that as maybe a reason why, you know, employees might be concerned in the beginning, but it'll turn out okay in the end. Employees, though, when we talked to them, said while they appreciated the chance to speak with her about this, they didn't really leave those meetings with a lot more information than they came to those meetings with to begin with. And, you know, one employee said to me, you know, I never spoke to anybody who said, I know what the plan is. I have all the information that I need, and I'm satisfied with the information I was given. And it's not even so much that it's the employees. Congress had the same reaction. I mean, we heard this at the hearing in May, but we also talked to Jerry Conley, the congressman from Virginia, who is the uh, chairman of the Government Oversight and Reform Subcommittee on Government Operations. And he said, there is no plan. We've never seen a plan. And he expected a lot of frustration over that. And I think that was probably one of the shortcomings of this administration's merger is that they were not as transparent as they probably should have been or could have been. And I think Margaret admitted that to us in Mm -hmm. in many ways, Nicole. Yeah, I think she, you know, acknowledged that she didn't necessarily get ahead on this with Congress, but she, I think, pretty strongly maintained the fact that she tried to work with them in a bipartisan way. She spoke with them. She met with them. They submitted documents. I think there was some pushback over what some of those documents were that the administration was sending. I think a lot of past government accountability office reports on human capital made it into that chunk of documents that uh, lawmakers like Jerry Connolly received. And, you know, Connolly's response was, we don't need these. We've seen them before. So she says that she has worked with Congress. She says that maybe Congress hasn't worked as well with her as they perhaps could have. There's some debate about that, but I think from her perspective, she has done all that she could to keep that line of communication open. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco and Jason Miller. And what about the employees themselves? We heard what Margaret Weikert told you she heard from employees. What did you hear directly about them with respect to that GSA merger? You know, like I mentioned, Tom, I think there was just a frustration about lack of details People wanted to know where they were going, where their job might end up, and it doesn't seem like they received that information. You know, we heard some anecdotes about some of these town halls that were held 
where employees stood up and said, why won't you just tell us what the plan is? And so it sounds a little like Jerry Connolly. Yeah. And, and so I think we're, we're hearing some of the same common messages from employees and, and Congress. At this Jason, point. I just want to read a quote that I received from one of our sources. They said, it's not that people are necessarily against the change or against consolidating certain parts of the agency, but people are against being stupid about it. I'm against the forced sterilization of an agency just to force a political opinion. And I'm not sure this administration did a good enough job. I'm not sure Margaret did a good enough job to really stop that feeling. Now, whether it was reality or not, the perception was this was a political motivated change instead of trying to show up that, hey, this is actually better for the government. This is better for government efficiency. And like, I'll give you an example, Tom. I could make a great argument why HR Solutions should move to GSA, but to get rid of OPM internally and move it into OMB, that left a lot of people wondering, and then there was not enough specifics around why that was a good decision. Nicole? And I think some of the employees in those policy shops, the people that, quite frankly, you know, put together the pay tables that come out every year when there might be a pay adjustment, the folks who were working on locality pay raises... I think there was some confusion for them about where they specifically were supposed to end up in all of this. You know, at one point it could have been GSA. Another point, maybe it was at an office at the White House. Some mixed messages there and just some confusion all around. All right. So where does this OPM and GSA merger exactly stand? Congress says no. The administration says, oh, we're going to do it. What is it? So from someone like Jerry Connolly's perspective, this is done in his mind. He says he'll continue to... You know, speak with OPM, speak with the administration, accept new documents if they come in. But from his mind, you know, he's put language in appropriations bills and the Defense Authorization Act that would block this and any part of this. I think, though, from Margaret Weikert's perspective, she sees that appropriations language as maybe falling under the category of the poison pill riders that... Congress apparently agreed to, you know, forgo this time in some of these budget negotiations. And, you know, at the same time, I think we're hearing that discussions are continuing about other ways that OPM or pieces of it might move to GSA. You know, it's been brought up that GSA may manage OPM's buildings on the agency's behalf. And we have heard that those discussions are ongoing. Well, yeah. I mean, what's one person's poison is another one's ordinary Thing to do. It depends on really what party's in power. Is it a partisan issue with respect to how Congress feels about this? Yes and no. I think that the Democrats have been more vocal about it, but there's a lot of Republicans who are still kind of saying, okay, we need more information. We're not necessarily against it, but we're not for it either until we get more data. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, Tom, is the transparency and the clarity that the that a plan, a strategy would have, it just doesn't seem to exist. And I think that's what's frustrating to all parties involved. The other piece of this that, that we should bring up, Tom, as well, is OPM's new leadership. The Alcabinus is just sworn in as the new director of OPM. She has a background on the Senate Appropriations Committee. She has a background with the Federal Labor Relations Authority. She understands how OPM works, hopefully. And I think that could also help move this process forward a little bit. What will be interesting is how much of the torch she brings up from the administration. Obviously, she's not going to take the job if she doesn't support the reorg in some way. But how much of the reorg does she support and in which direction does she take it? That's something to be watching. Yeah, she was a little vague in her confirmation hearings, but now we are in a continuing resolution. So everything is as it was in 2019. Until that's over, then it's really hard to tell whether this gets out of limbo or not. Well, not quite, because OPM actually got a budget anomaly for about 48 more million dollars uh, this coming year than they had before. 
OPM has not been one to get huge bumps in appropriations dollars. And that was to make up for the loss of the security clearance revenue. It was, yes. And this has not happened to them in the past. I would say their appropriations has been kept pretty flat over the years. So we have you know, new leadership. We have more funding. So I think that leaves a lot of employees with the question of, okay, so what is possibly next? And I think they're waiting for some sort of direction, a sense of where this might go. And right now we don't see it. And this all leads to this idea of what's the long-term damage. They lost a ton of institutional knowledge. They lost a ton of really important people. Now, it doesn't mean other important people can't come in and fill those roles. But at the same time, I think that opens the door to a lot of questions that still need to be answered. And I think that's part of the reason what attracted us to the story as well was, you know, what's the future of OPM and what's the long-term ability of it to, to really meet a very important mission? Tom, I've said this many times. The three most important agencies in government are OMB, OPM, and GSA that nobody knows about. All right. You know about OPM now. Federal News Network's Jason Miller and Nicola Grisco. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Be sure to check out their stories. They're really good at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 